Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. I'm Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So good to be here with you this morning and uh, for us uh, to be together to worship, but also uh, this part of our service where we uh, get to confirm deacons to help lead our church. Um, This is an awesome time where God speaks to the church and provides leadership, and we should be so thankful for him providing uh, such an abundance of incredible people to help lead our church, and not just them. We have people in Crosspoint Kids, and we have people in the Park Cafe. We have people in security. We have people doing all kinds of things all over this church, and what thanks we owe each one of them, including so many of you in here who serve as well. Amen? Yeah, you can clap. It's totally cool. We are a very, very uh, fortunately blessed church. This morning, uh, we're going to be bringing our Let's Talk series to a close. Uh, We've been in this, I believe, for nine weeks, and this last two weeks, we uh, started talking about the issue of anxiety, and and today, this third week, we're going to be wrapping up our time talking about anxiety and also wrapping up the series. Some might ask, why in the world would we spend three mornings talking about the same topic. Um, Anxiety and fear in our culture is a gigantic problem and it's a growing issue. At least our perception of it is that it's growing and I believe it is growing. But it's not just a reaction to our current uh, current situation and, and where we're at as a nation and what people are dealing with. It's, uh, it's a biblical issue. Did you know that, that the command, do not fear or do not be afraid, is the second most repeated command in the whole Bible? The first is praise the Lord. And the Psalms like totally jacked that number up because it just, they kept saying it and saying it and saying it. Some people, if, if you take out the repeated praise the Lords in the Psalms, and you look at the number of times in God's word where the, the, the command do not fear is said, it, it may even be counted as the first most repeated command in the Bible. This command from God, this gracious, merciful command from God, shows us that, that his people not living lives of fear, not living lives of anxiety, takes up a, a pretty big part of real estate in his heart. He really cares about us. This, this issue is really on our Father's mind. And so this topic is very worthy of our attention. Have any of you heard of the uh, Millennium Tower in San Francisco? There's a building, uh, 58 stories tall. I believe it was built in 2009. Uh, 58 stories tall, 645 feet tall, 419 luxury condos, the price tag up to $10 million, and I believe the penthouse was $13 million. Uh, for one condo, not a house, a condo, uh, in San Francisco, and everyone living there bought these condos, said, I'm going to live in the heart of luxury in San Francisco, right there downtown, and I'm going to have a great life. 
Now, each of these people living in these condos, they have their own stories, their own lives, their own problems, their own uh, issues, everything that happens in those condos, the, the comings and goings of everything that happens in their life. And they have problems above ground. But their biggest problem is actually below ground, literally. In 2015, some really weird things started happening. Windows on these condos would just start to shatter for no reason. Nothing bumped into it. They would just break. And then developed on the sidewalk was this 12-foot-long crack in the sidewalk right outside the condo complex, this skyscraper. And then round objects that would fall on the floor would, would maybe roll a certain way, but then they'd always end up rolling to the northwest. You might think it's haunted, but it's not. It's tilting. This luxury complex, the foundation, is sinking and it's tilting. In 2016, the developers of the complex, uh, the skyscraper, admitted publicly that this, this foundation was shifting and tilting. And so overnight, these $10 million condos became virtually worthless because who's going to buy a home in a tilting skyscraper? No matter what problems came into and out of the lives of those people above ground, they are all made worse because of the massive problem with the foundation below. No matter what anxieties they had, no matter what repair and maintenance they needed to make to those condos above ground, all of it was made worse because their foundation was not settled. It was moving and it was shifting. And their homes are now tilting. You can actually go online and see these people putting a marble on the floor, rolling it one way, and then it rolls back the other way. It's insane. This is, this is in, in 2015 this happened. With all the science and technology we have, and still the foundation is shifting. And I think that anxiety... Our anxiety is a whole lot like that Millennium Tower. We can't always predict and control the things that are going to come at us from above ground, right? Can you control all the things in your life and, and anxiety-proof your life? I can't. You can't control all the things coming in and out of your life on, on the, the top side, above ground part. Life happens, and we cannot control our way out of anxious experiences and seasons. And for some of us, anxiety is caused by situations we find ourselves in. You, there's a loss of a job or there's a, a disease that you're dealing with or there's a family issue and that situation causes you anxiety. And for some of us, anxiety is as close as the next time that our brain chemistry decides to shift just a little bit. And for some of us, it's both. We have a chemistry that's not helping us and situations that are coming in our life and knocking us off balance. And we don't have complete control over all of that. That part of our life that is above ground and is affected by the haphazard nature of life and physiology that can just walk right into our condo and cause a mess. We don't have complete control over that. But wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that no matter what cards we're dealt above the surface, that our experience of it will be all the better if the foundation below is strong and unmoving? You can't control that anxiety is going to come. But what about the foundation? What about what you build your life upon? There's two main parts in dealing with anxiety. Now, I, 
little disclaimer. I'm not an expert. I've never, I'm not a psychologist. But as far as I can see, reading God's word, this is the, the aspect I'm coming from. There's two main parts of dealing with anxiety. The first part, uh, or one of the parts, is responding to anxiety when it comes. This is the uh, above ground strategy. Anxiety, hardship's gonna come into your life. And you have to know how to respond to it. You have to learn how to respond to it. As life happens and as your body responds, learning how to return yourself to that place of what they call regulation. And I think spiritually, this is a journey of back to operating in faith. Bringing people into it, sleep, exercise, counseling, and a deep, deep prayer life. Those are all ways that we can respond to anxiety, and they're biblical. God's word does teach us about responding to anxiety as it comes. But responding to anxiety isn't our only strategy. On the defense, that's important, but defense is not the only strategy. Matthew 6, which we're going to be in today, if you want to turn there, go ahead and get your Bibles out and turn there. Matthew 6 envisions something on the front side of anxiety, maybe before it comes. Matthew 6 talks about proactively preparing for it and structuring your life, building your life in a way to take the fight to it before it hits you. This part is about building the foundation, about settling the foundation on something that will not move. You need to learn to respond to anxiety, but you have the option of building your life on something so that your foundation is not moving. And I think I speak for all of us when I say this. I don't want to live my life on the defensive. Just waiting for the next time anxiety might visit me. And I hope I'll do okay. I want to suit up. I want to arm up. And I want to take the fight to anxiety before it comes to my door. How about you? How about you? Let's not wait for anxiety to come. It will. And it'll hit you off guard. But I believe scripture, Jesus' words, Jesus himself is telling us that we can build a foundation in a way that takes the fight to anxiety. Now, a little disclaimer. This scripture is not saying throw away your medications because you heard a good sermon. I hope. I hope it's a good sermon. We are physical beings. God made us physical beings and we have spirits. We are a united whole. To neglect the needs of the physical is not spiritual. And God also provided for us really smart people and really amazing things that the earth has produced to help combat some of the ways that we can get out of balance chemically. I believe that for a lot of people, the medications that you've been, uh, um, you've, you've, you've been given to help deal with this, they are one way of God providing for your life. One way. God provides in lots of different ways. Another disclaimer. Scripture isn't a magic pill that wards off the possibility of anxiety. You can't just read and quote Scripture and I won't have any anxiety. If you've tried that, how's that working for you? The Bible says, do not be anxious, so that's all I need. It doesn't work that way. It's not a magic pill. 
This is truth from God. But Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have many troubles. Jesus said we'll have troubles. This is not a magic pill. But the same Jesus who said that you will have trouble is also the one who finishes that sentence. Can I get an amen? He finishes that sentence by saying, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You may be anxious. You may be excruciatingly anxious right now. But friend, your life is not hopeless. Today I want to give you hope by helping you anchor yourself in the bedrock truth of God's word. So here in Matthew 6, I want you to go to verse 25. Before we read that, I want to say a few things. Matt gave a great overview of this passage two weeks ago, and today I want to drill down a little bit further into where he left off and make a few more connections. I want to, in a sense, dissect the anatomy of fear and then sit under the instruction of Pastor Jesus as he preaches to us and hear his unparalleled wisdom and experience on this. Yes, Jesus too struggled with anxiety. Jesus had anxiety. Jesus had worries that he had to turn over to the Father. If you don't believe me, just read the narrative of him in the garden before he was going to be crucified. He was deeply troubled, deeply anxious, overwhelmed, sweating blood. Jesus had his own struggle with anxiety. You think it wasn't a heavy thing to him his whole life, knowing that he was responsible for saving the world. Jesus himself had anxiety. So when you struggle with anxiety, you're in good company. Your Savior did too. So the first thing I want to do, but Jesus also responded perfectly to anxiety, didn't he? He never let his anxiety and worry go to that place of sin where he didn't believe that God was who he says he was. So first, before we jump into the scripture, let's look at the anatomy of fear, just so we understand a little bit more about it. The anatomy of fear is this. We need to understand fear and the genius behind Jesus' words. When we look at what Jesus says in scripture and we compare it to what fear actually is and what it does to us, Jesus is, surprise, surprise, brilliant. He's amazing what he says. Now, there are five basic human fears. This was all kind of uh, brought together by a guy named Carl Albrecht. Uh, I read it in a, a magazine called Psychology Today in 2012. He had an article. And Carl Albrecht boiled down all the, the fears that human beings experience to five basic categories of fear. Now, amazingly, and what a coincidence, 3,000 years earlier, there was this guy named King David who wrote this Psalm 27. And in Psalm 27, David is facing his fears. And David just happens to name all five of those fears 3,000 years ago. Isn't it amazing the wisdom of God that's so old and yet has not changed? And so what we see in psychology today is awesome. What they're discovering is awesome, but really it's an echo. Today's modern psychology, some of it, is an echo of ancient theology. And some of it isn't an echo of anything in the Bible. But so much of it is, is discovering things that God's word has already planted years and years and years ago. So when I tell you about this 
the, the human fears, the five basic human fears, don't just hear it as modern psychology. Do hear these as an echo of ancient theology. And I would encourage you this week to look at Psalm 27. They're all there. The first basic human fear is what they call extinction. You find this in Psalm 27.3. This bit comes down to loss of life or loss of existence. Human beings are afraid of death. <gasps> yeah, we don't want to die. We were built with a desire to keep on going. And most human beings struggle with that fear that eventually they'll lose their life. The second basic human fear is what's called mutilation. You see this in Psalm 27 too. This is loss of a body part or its function. This includes physical pain. Mutilation. We don't want bad things to happen to our bodies. We don't want to lose parts of our bodies. We don't, bodies. We don't want to uh, use, miss, or lose the use of a part of our body. The third one, and this is a pretty broad one actually, is the loss of autonomy. See this in Psalm 27.6. This is the loss of freedom and mobility. Fearing being restricted, enveloped, hemmed in either physically or relationally. I don't want to get trapped. In fact, I think a lot of our fear about money and not having enough comes down to this. If I don't have enough money, I won't be able to do what I, I need to do. I'll be trapped. I'll be enveloped. The fear, this is the fourth one, the fear of separation. Psalm 27.10. This is the loss of relationship, of connectedness, loss of being wanted, respected, or valued by someone else. Are you afraid of losing a relationship in your life? Are there people in your life that you fear that you're going to lose, either by their death or by their choosing not to be part of your life? And the fifth one is this really psychologically sounding term called ego death. This is Psalm 27, 12, writes this out. The big idea here is loss of reputation. It's humiliation, embarrassment, shame, loss of worthiness. Are any of you worried about losing your reputation and so you make decisions to keep a good face on? It's because you fear the loss of reputation. Now, if you're paying attention, what is the common word that is in every one of these fears? Loss. So if you boil the five basic human fears down to one basic fear, it is this. Loss. But loss of what? Loss of what? I'm not afraid of losing everything at all. Loss of what? Keep that question, loss of what, right in the very front of your mind as we start looking into Scripture now. Matthew 6, 25, look there. Jesus says to you, Therefore I tell you, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now wait, why did Jesus say therefore as he introduces this topic of anxiety? The reason why is because he just got finished talking about something that has huge implications for anxiety. 
massive implications for anxiety. And so he connects them, what he's about to say with anxiety, he connects them with this word, therefore. I just said a bunch of stuff to you, therefore, you don't have to be anxious. So if we want to understand Jesus' view on anxiety, we have to pop back up a passage and see what he just said. So let's take a look at what he's referring to. Go to verse 19, back up to verse 19, and keep asking the question about anxiety. It comes from loss. Loss of what? Keep asking that question, and let's see if we can figure it out together. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal and you lose stuff. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now skip down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. See what happens when we don't split passages up? Treasure, 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 treasure. Therefore do not be anxious about your life. So let me ask you the question. Anxiety comes from fearing the loss of what? Treasure. Treasure. Don't just imagine money or like a treasure chest like that a pirate stole. Or things that we value and love and stake our life in. Treasure what we value most, what our heart bows to and seeks and serves above all other things. Anxiety exists because treasure can be lost. Anxiety exists because treasure can be lost. At least certain kinds of treasure. So everything Jesus is going to say about fear and anxiety is rooted in what? What we treasure. You got it? Does that make sense? So if we boil anxiety down both biblically and psychologically, fear is the anticipation of losing something we treasure. Fear is the anticipation of losing something we treasure. Life, limb, comfort, finances, freedom, people, reputation, the list goes on and on. It's all about losing something we hold dear. Now, fear has its purposes, doesn't it? I think Matt brought up the idea that, like, if you're being chased by a bear, fear is an awesome thing. Why? Gets your heart rate going, your adrenaline pumping, and hopefully you can run farther before it eats you. Fear is a really good idea when you're actually in a dangerous situation. God gave it to us so that we would survive. And it's, great, it's a great tool to have at your disposal in that moment. So if you've been slacking off at work and you get an email from your boss saying she wants to meet with you, anxiety in that moment might come in helpful. You might step it up a little bit and start working a little harder, right? Again, if the bear is chasing you, or my worst fear, being in the water and a great white shark is coming at you. I think my heart would just explode and I would die so that I wouldn't have to feel the fear at that moment. The problem 
is when fear steps out of the moment and into the permanent. Out of the moment and into the permanent. When a temporary fear turns into what I would call an abiding fear, it lives with you. It stays with you. What's happening with anxiety is that your body and your mind are reacting to the perception of a threat, whether or not it's really there. How many of you have been anxious about something, and you're actually in no danger at all, but you're sitting there with a pumping heart and breathing heavy, and and there's zero actual danger there in the room? It's not just a real threat. It's perceived threats, isn't it? Your brain is running the situation and the threat over and over and over, trying to solve the problem while your body is preparing itself to either fight or flight. And here's what I think we'll find based on Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6. Abiding fear, here anxiety, abiding fear is only possible when my greatest treasure is losable. Abiding fear, I'm not just saying fear or anxiety. Fear and anxiety will come, but abiding fear and anxiety, living with you, staying with you, is only possible when my greatest fear is losable. Now, there's an exception to this. Some of us, because our physiology, you can have fear for no reason at all, and it's not because you're not treasuring God. It's because your brain is saying, be afraid. So don't feel like you're unspiritual if you have that generalized anxiety disorder where you just feel afraid and something, I know something bad is going to happen. Your body is, is leading you at that point rather than you leading your body. And, and it's a real struggle and it's a real issue. And I wouldn't want you to hear what I just said here and, and think that you're being unspiritual because you're struggling with that. But in broad terms, abiding fear is only, the, the fear that lives with you is only possible when my greatest treasure is losable. Okay, so the big question is this. What is my bare minimum for well-being and peace and joy in life? What is my bare minimum to say, I'm okay, I'm good, life is okay, I can do this. What is my bare minimum in my life that I must have so that life is okay? All of us have got to be asking this question of ourselves. The answer to that question reveals your greatest treasure. When you answer that question, what is my bare minimum for me to be okay, and you list several things, that you just defined your treasure. What you say you must have. As long as I have fill in the blank, life is worth it. Family, money in the bank, health, a certain reputation. Whatever that list is, those are your greatest treasures. When Charlotte and I were dating, so we dated uh, from our sophomore year. By the way, high school kids, don't date when you're in high school. Bad idea. Uh, People are clapping. It's not high school students that are are clapping. Now, Charlotte and I, we had a great relationship. It was awesome, and we were, like, amazing people, so it went well. But uh, (laughs) we dated from our sophomore year up and through our our first year of of, uh, college, and then we really felt that we were becoming each other's greatest treasure, and we felt like we were the only people in the history of the world who said, God's telling me to break up with you, and we actually meant it, and it was true. So we broke up because we felt that each other uh, were... um, too important, way too important. 
And so we, we were broken up for two years, and at the end of that two years, we had this, uh, this class together at Stan State, uh, and, and my heart just started doing this again. And I was like, man, I've got to get back together with her. I think she might be my future wife. And uh, so I called her up and said, hey, can we go hang out? And we did, and we sat in my car, and I, and I told her, I think we need to get back together. Um, in my heart, man, I haven't gotten over you. I really want to be your boyfriend, and I think it might lead to something more. And she listened, and she smiled, and she said, oh, okay, well, I need to, I need to think about this. That, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. <laughs> She said, could you give me a week? And in my mind, I thought, well, she just doesn't want to jump into it. And, you know, without thinking, it's been two years. I, I kind of did just kind of just throw this on her. So she needs a week to confirm what I already know needs to happen. Well, we got back together a week later. And her answer was no. She, <laughs> she said, you know, Travis, we've been broken up for a long time. And it actually took me a little while to get over you, of course. Um, <laughs> and, she, and, and, and there was another guy who was starting to take her out on dates. I still hate his guts. <laughs> but side note, I won. Six kids. Anyway, she said no. I had no clue in the world she was going to say no. And at that moment, deep anxiety poured into my life. I couldn't eat. For the next three months, she kept me waiting. Three months. I couldn't eat. I lost 15 pounds. I'm not joking. All of a sudden, my life was filled with anxiety because this thing that I treasured, this person that I treasured almost more than anything, I felt fear of losing. Maybe I won't have her for the rest of my life. This is how anxiety works in us. Here's the problem. If it, by the way, it worked out fine. <laughs> she, uh, she ended up saying yes because I just persisted in my charm. and <sighs> I would say good looks, but then you'd know I'm lying, so, it, you know. But here's the thing. If anything in our bare minimum for I must have this to have well-being, if anything in your bare minimum for well-being is losable, abiding anxiety is not only possible but probable. If anything in your bare minimum for well-being is losable, abiding anxiety is not only possible, it is probable. So you may say, so I just shouldn't be attached to anything or anyone, right? I should just detach myself from anything and anyone. No, that's actually Buddhist thinking. Detachment, that you detach yourself from everything. And I, I just don't think that's possible and it's not biblical. We're supposed to be attached to people. We're supposed to have people and the church and other things that are worthy of it as treasures in our life. So what is Jesus actually saying? In verses 26 through 32, Jesus gives some very real world examples of what people worry about. And I'd encourage you this week to read that and ponder what he says in those verses and walk through that this week. But skip down to verse 33. Here's where we see Jesus' heart about treasure. It's not completely detaching ourselves from anything and everyone. It's something different. Look what he says. Verse 33. But seek what? First. 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. He doesn't say seek only. He says seek first. Fear loses much of its power when our treasures are in the proper place. Jesus isn't teaching non-attachment. He's teaching treasure priority. That your treasures would be in right alignment and first things first and second things second and third things third. Not non-attachment. Jesus is teaching treasure priority. His kingdom, his righteousness, himself. Jesus is the highest treasure. And when God becomes our highest treasure and our bare minimum for being okay is just him, anxiety's grip on you is weakened. Will it still hold a place in your life? Yeah, it will. It'll still attack. Because we do love and treasure other things. But when God himself is in that top place of your highest treasure, anxiety's weak, its grip is weakened. If fear's power comes from losing what we treasure most, then fear loses its power when what we treasure most cannot be lost. I know that's a mouthful, but it's really important to understand. If fear's power comes from losing what we treasure most, then fear loses its power when what we treasure most cannot be lost. Jesus is the only treasure that cannot be lost. Even the people in your life that will never leave you or forsake you, guess what? They will leave you. Maybe not on their own decision. Everyone dies. People get sick. Psychologically, sometimes something can go wrong in a person and they're not there for you anymore. There's a million reasons why even the most loyal person to you in the world will not always be there. I hope I didn't just cause anxiety in some of you right now, but this is truth. Jesus is the only treasure that cannot be lost. So here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying if you have anxiety, clearly you don't love God above all things. That is not what I'm saying. No, people who love God dearly can struggle with anxiety deeply. What I'm saying is that treasuring God above all things is how you bring the fight to anxiety. And day by day, month by month, year by year, gain ground against this cruel enemy. It's not an overnight thing. Some of you might be saying, oh, Travis, I'm already anxious enough, and now you just told me that I've, I, I, I gotta love God more. It's just one more thing that now I have to worry about. Friend, that's, I don't want you to hear that. This isn't about loading you up with a burden you can't bear. I'm saying go lay down in the presence of God. Go surrender and say, God, I don't know how to deal with all this, but I know that you should be my top treasure. I don't know how to get there. Teach me, pull me there, drag me there. But I'm, I'm laying myself in your hands. This is not a burden. This is a freedom. Don't hear burden, hear freedom. If having Jesus and becoming like him is the greatest treasure, our bare minimum, fear will still come and pain and disappointment and sorrow, but they begin losing control of us as Jesus becomes our definition of peace and joy. Because that which you treasure most will rule what you treasure less. It's the ring that will rule them all. What you 
treasure most will rule what you treasure less. He's telling us that there is something we must seek first to be infinitely, to be of infinitely greater value to us, to be our bare minimum, to be our one thing. So what do I treasure most? Anxiety and fear capture us and torture us when our one thing, Jesus, shares his place or loses his place. So as you walk through this fight with anxiety, I encourage you to do everything you can to learn how to respond to anxiety as it comes. All of us have to make use of the resources God has put at our disposal to respond to anxiety. Like, Like the panel talked about last week, don't cast that aside. Listen to it. Use it. Practice it. I'm saying both and. You know, last week, Courtney uh, shared with us of five really important responses. You've got to make sure you're sleeping enough. Good nutrition and hydration. Physical movement. Connect with God. Connect with others. Those are really, really important practices. And some of them are actually proactive practices, aren't they? Keep all those tools at the ready for when anxiety comes. But if your only plan is responding to anxiety, you might be missing out on some major victory against it. Most approaches to anxiety, I think, in popular psychology are about addressing the anxiety and responding to the anxiety, laterally to the anxiety. And this is certainly an important part of the struggle. But I I have a deep conviction and personal experience that only addressing the anxiety is like only addressing the symptoms of a disease. If I have cancer, do I want to address the horrible symptoms and make them better? Yes, of, of course I do. Do that. But I also want to go after what's beneath those symptoms. I want to go after the tumor itself. The tumor itself in anxiety is a misaligned treasure priority. So church, anxiety at its deepest root isn't just a response to a threat. It is a response to a treasure. Your anxiety is not just a response to a perceived threat. It actually goes deeper. Remember the foundation of Millennium Tower? If you want more and more victory with anxiety, don't just keep dealing with the anxiety. Go lower to the foundation. What do you treasure most? Interesting fact about Millennium Tower the whole area is prone to liquefications. It's built on this, it's called Colma Sand. And Millennium Tower used this uh, uh, way of doing their foundation called, uh, where is it in my notes? Friction Pile. I am not an engineer. Friction Pile, and it's, it's rooted in the, in the sandy layer below. Now, there's other really big buildings right around that same area. They're not tilting. You want to know Why? They drilled past the sand layer to the bedrock. They went deeper. And they're not tilting and they're not falling over. We can do to anxiety the same thing it does to us. Anxiety's power is in threatening us with loss. But what if we threatened anxiety with loss? What if we threatened anxiety with the very thing it threatens us with, loss? What if we said, my greatest treasure was my reputation, it was, it was above my treasuring of God, but I'm taking that out of the top position and placing God back in there, or my family was there, or my job was there, or money was there. But I'm placing God there. I'm taking it out of that position, and I'm placing God where he should be. In that moment, anxiety has lost its handle on you. 
or at least it's losing its handle on you. Instead, you've brought loss to anxiety because it's losing the only thing it can grab and take control of your life by. So how do I begin this process of taking the fight to anxiety by making God my greatest treasure, the treasure who rules them all? The first thing, honesty. We need to admit to God what is true, that he may not be our greatest treasure. Can I say things like that to God? Won't he get mad? Oh, if you think that about your father, you're wrong. He's going to say to you, yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you for finally being honest with me. Second thing, vulnerability. Ask God to show you the things that you treasure more than him. God, what things do I love more than you? Ask him. He'll start to show you. And you might want to do this too. Ask the people around you. What do I love more than God? And then share this with trusted friends. You need to out yourself for your misaligned treasure priorities. The third thing, action. Take the action that God and others direct you to. I can't tell you exactly what that's going to be because it's probably going to be different for each one of us. But whatever God tells you to do, whatever the other really uh, wise Christians in your life look into your life and say, here's what I think you ought to do. Take action. Do something. Change something so that you can begin to change how you think about God and what is your greatest treasure. And then fourth, repeat. This is never a once and done thing. You will not have a prayer time with God and he'll fix it all and my treasures are forever in the right place. Look, I've tried. That doesn't work. This is day by day by day. Surrendering to God. Jesus is better than anything else that life offers you. You will have more joy when he is your greatest treasure. It's not just about fighting anxiety. It's about pursuing joy. And there is nothing in this world that can give you more joy than Jesus himself. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we wanna just respond to this truth with one more song. And then after that, we're gonna have an opportunity for you to respond. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement, because the last thing we wanna do is preach to you a message and say, now, you're on your own. We wanna encourage you this church, this family wants to walk alongside of you. 